0: Hello and welcome to Inspiration Boulevard, the podcast where we discuss the brilliance and creativity that exists within the field of mental health. I'm your host, Alan Hyde, and I am joined today by a good friend and fellow licensed marriage and family therapist, Cindy Burlingame. Hey, Cindy.
1: Hey, Alan. What's up? Now you know, living the dream.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. You know, I know we were kind of just talking a little bit outside of the the recording here, but uh, it's been... I mean, pretty much since uh, graduation that we've kind of spent any significant time together. It's good to yeah. see you and yeah. gravitating all, in the circles again.
1: Yeah, we all kind of went head first into our paths.
0: Yeah. yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, about your path so far, just kind of some of the, the directions you've gone and some of the focuses that you've taken and things that, uh, you know, and we can develop this as the conversation goes, but some of the things that you focus on uh, clinically.
1: Sure. Um, So after graduation, a friend called me and said that there was a spot open at College Hospital Costa Mesa's PHP program. And I can remember when we were in school and um, we had a couple of guest speakers come from College Hospital. And I remember looking at my friends going, I will never work there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like just the idea terrified me. And so when he called and he's like, Cindy, you've got to come over here. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not working over there. And he's like, no, Cindy, you've got to come. You, you will love it here. You've got to come. And I thought about it for a little while. And I was like, you know, I'm really scared to work there, which means I really have to go. Aww. I have to walk into that fear. Um, so I did. Um, so I went and I worked there as a therapist as an intern um i guess back then we were interns (laughs) right now whatever vice versa it's Uh, crazy
0: how time flies
1: i know (laughs) to
0: be sitting here licensed as long as we've been licensed it's a trip
1: it is crazy so i went and i did i loved it i was there two and a half years um really the experience i mean i can remember our professor saying, everybody needs to work at a psych hospital. And now I understand why, because the experience that I gained there with severe and persistent mental illness was invaluable.
0: Yeah, well, I'm (laughs) glad that you clarified that because I was gonna ask, right, for the, you know, those who may be listening who aren't uh, privy to uh, what College Hospital is. Um, So basically what you just said, it's it's a psych hospital, right, and Mm -hmm. there's multiple locations, right? There's Long Beach and Costa Mesa. Are there any others?
1: Anaheim. Yeah. There's, they're all over awesome. LA
0: County. How, uh, how are, how are they like getting intakes? Was it just like off, of, you know, cause I know i like almost worked there with you at one point, but just kind of got information on it too, just working in the field around here. But was it people coming off the streets? Was this like an insurance thing? You know, just in case there's people listening.
1: The hospital accepts Medi-Cal um, for inpatient. A lot of their um referrals come from the local hospitals that don't have behavioral health units so i know hogue is a big one that refers because hogue doesn't have a behavioral health unit and a lot of times the beds in in the hospitals that do have behavioral health units are full so you know all, many times it's just people calling around trying to find who has an open bed um so, but the area that I worked in was the partial hospitalization program. So that was like the step down from inpatient. So the clients in- come to us after they discharged from inpatient.
0: Gotcha. And for, for your guys' PHP there, was it like a traditional PHP where they were also living off and coming in or, or these people were there full time?
1: No, they lived at home and okay. came to us five or six days a week, depending on, you know, what their needs were. Um, They came for program every day. They saw the psychiatrist, they had a therapist, and then they attended groups.
0: Gotcha. And, and, you know, just for those listening, you may hear us use uh, abbreviations and acronyms like PHP and IOP. Uh, You know, you're either privy to it in the field, or (laughs) if you're listening to this and you're not in the field, don't worry about it. They're just letters. They they mean more to us uh, for documentation than anything. Right, and just to yeah. know to, to know how these people are coming in and why they're coming in, in in certain hours of the day.
1: Yep, exactly. So after I um, left College Hospital, I went to Camp Pendleton and worked as a military family and life counselor yeah. um, with the Marines. Um, did that for a little while, and then hopped on over to. <coughs> psychology and addiction um, they have a crisis stabilization house and so I was hired to be the therapist over the crisis stabilization house we call it Sierra house and that also is kind of a step down Um, a lot of our clients came from inpatient they were not sick enough to remain in the hospital but not stable enough to go home or to go on to to an IOP program so they come to us for stabilization for 30 days and then they move on to the next level of care. Gotcha. And I've been there for over a year and I love it.
0: Yeah. It seems like a cool spot. <laughs> I'll actually, you know, just a uh, little side note be joining you over there and <clears throat> it should be fun. I'll, I'll uh, come wait. knock down your door and throw things at you while you're trying <laughs> to just...
1: <laughs> I can't wait. <clears throat> You
0: mentioned doing uh, some of the military family treatment. That must have been a wonderful experience, or just different from, uh, I think, a lot of the offerings that kind of happen around here in the general Orange County area.
1: It was definitely different. Um, I really thought it would be a great fit for me, given that my husband served 30 years in the military. Um, It was not a great fit for me, though. And I realized that pretty quickly. mainly because the military and family life counselors aren't, they don't have the freedom that other licensed therapists have. Hmm. It's a lot more just like referral type stuff. And so I felt as though I was lacking the ability to really dive in deep with the clients. Yeah. And what a,
0: what an important aspect of this work, you know, like when, when we talk about like why we got into this stuff and, and being fulfilled by the work, you know, which is, you know, hugely important as a clinician.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So to, to feel pigeonholed, um, just wasn't for me. It's a, I mean, it's definitely a need that the military has. I think that expanding their mental health services would probably be more beneficial, but that's just my own personal opinion. (laughs)
0: well and doesn't your husband do a lot of abdication for that like on campus where we went to school
1: he used to yes he no longer works there um but he's still a huge advocate for vets
0: yeah absolutely yeah well and you know I remember when you you had shared right because you know we're friends on social media and all that when you landed over there I was like oh it makes complete sense that you went over there
1: yeah and I did I I really I'm glad that I did it it was again it was great experience and I think there's something so valuable when you um, are able to get a bunch of different experiences when you're first starting out. It's, um, it brings something to your level of understanding of this work. So I definitely have no regrets about doing it. Um, I did it for you know the amount of time that I thought was appropriate for me and then it was time to move on and I knew that. And you know now being where I'm at now it offers me the opportunity to do what I really came into this field to do and that's to pursue my sex therapy certification.
0: Yeah, no, I I remember we were in school and, and uh, you would share that and just that that was part of the passion of of what you wanted to do. And you know, what's funny is I was just, uh, I was talking with a friend who's in SLAA, uh, you know, and, and I I gravitate a lot like, and, and I think what everyone, at least close friends know of me at this point is like my niche is 12 steps. Is kind of the the direction I've gone uh, in my career, um, and I was having that conversation. And I actually had you in mind when I was sharing this. I was like, I had a friend in my master's program who always used to talk about, right, uh, you know, seeking you know sex ther- therapist certifications. And I was sharing. I was like, I, I told her, I was like, I'm actually bringing her onto the the podcast tonight. And uh, but it was funny because when we were talking about, it, I was like, I, I was a young man when I was in in my master's program. I was figuring out, like, what does this whole therapy thing even mean, right? Because in the beginning, I I didn't have a full grasp of it, you know? And I remember thinking, like, what could that possibly be? What could that possibly look like? (laughs) And, um, I, you know, with with more of an understanding of it today, but with having access to someone sitting in front of me that I greatly respect who's seeking some of those um, certifications, I'm curious if you could just shed some light on that for us and and give us some basic insights into it
1: it's it's funny because the longer i'm doing this the more i recognize the need for for those some of us to have this certification because there's so many clients that i engage with who are a part of the bdsm community who are Mm -hmm. a part of a polyamorous relationship or even just couples who are really struggling in their sexual relationships and they feel helpless to know where to go or what to do or how to get the help that they need. And even clients that are into kink or different fetishes, there's a lot of shame revolving around that, that I just feel like there's such a need for them to have somebody to go to where they can feel safe and not feel that shame that they've been carrying with them for this alternative lifestyle that is satisfying to them but they don't know what to do, how to work through some of those issues.
0: Yeah. You know, I think like, you know, just in general, like normal sex stuff gets shamed. You know what I mean? Like, like heterosexual sex stuff. It's like, then you start talking about, you know, the, the things that you're interested in or the things you want to experiment with in the bedroom. And everybody's different when it comes to that conversation.
1: Yes. And, you know,
0: it, it's one of those like hidden benefits and aspects of, I think, going down this road. Uh, as a therapist is like there there really isn't anything off the table to talk about and we're all human you know we're going to have different interests we're going to have different experiences and I think it's wonderful that there are individuals who are passionate about you know stepping into that direction to help other people explore what it is that you know helps yeah. them decompress helps them express their, themselves sexually um, and not like you were saying I think it's so huge not be shamed for
1: it. Absolutely and I think that it's a It's a very unique um, niche to to have. Um, I've talked to numerous therapists who have said flat out, I'm really glad you're doing that because I couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll refer to you, you know, like, it's it's fun, like, as a male therapist, you know, like, I'll I'll probably just stick to my 12 step stuff. And when those things come up, I'll refer to you.
1: (laughs) I mean, sex is such a taboo topic. Anyway, even in society today, we think we've made so much progress and come so far. But you just say the word sex. And you can look around the room and see, you know, blushing and flushing and people get so uncomfortable with it, let alone going any deeper than that. So, um, you know, I feel really passionate about kind of breaking that stigma down and just recognizing that we all, we are sexual beings and we should have the freedom to express our sexuality however we are comfortable with.
0: Right. You know, and, and I like that you highlight that, right? That, you know, sitting in our seat, having not just that certification, but also the understanding that like, hey, these are things that are okay to be comfortable with because I'm comfortable with it. Right. And I'm a human. Right. So we get to model that too. Um, and and I really like that you highlight that that that's part of that journey of, of sitting with being okay with what it is that you're interested in.
1: Yeah. And I love just the, the aspect of being a catalyst for somebody who has never had a positive experience with being able to talk freely about their sexuality. Um, I I just feel like that's so important. And I know if we look at like parenting, you know, how many parents are really uncomfortable talking about sex with their kids and just being able to sit with a parent and talk through that so that they can then go back to their children and feel more comfortable talking about it with their children.
0: Right. Cause it's going to come up, you know, it's, it's either talked about or it's, it's subtly avoided. You know, but the conversation's always there. That's I think my favorite thing about like family work is you know, these conversations that you've chosen not to have, hoping that they would just go away. But I think the perpetuation of not talking about it actually kind of makes things worse, you know. Absolutely. And that's that's a deep rabbit hole conversation, but I mean, just on the surface, right? Like the longer you don't talk about something as important as sexual relations, right? Mm -hmm. With with a young uh, teenager who's starting to explore their body, those those questions can be in their mind, and they're going to have all kinds of dirty thoughts. Whether you like it as a parent or not,
1: right. exactly. <laughs> and I always, you know, I say, sex, sex shouldn't be like the talk that you have when your kid hits thirteen. Sex should be an ongoing conversation from the day that they're born. I mean, really. Could you you say
0: more about that? Because I I actually, I hugely agree with you. And I think there's so many points in that, but I I would love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, even from them, you know, from when they're newborns and they are touching themselves and then they get to be toddlers and they're touching themselves and, you know, acknowledging that and, you know, addressing it. And then as they get a little bit older and you are watching television shows or, movies and you see something sexual in a movie that can spark a conversation with your child and just that ongoing flow so that they feel comfortable talking to you when those those hormones hit and they're overpowered by them and they don't know what to do imagine having the freedom to be able to talk to your parent and say I'm I'm freaking out. I had this dream last night, and I don't know what it means. And I woke up, and I was wet and sticky, and you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Tell me, is that what my my classmate was calling a wet dream? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but how many boys has that happened to? And they've you know stripped their beds in secret and thrown their their bedding in the laundry in the hopes that mom didn't find out. You know where to have a mom that you're comfortable with or a dad that you're comfortable with saying this happened and I don't know what it means. You know, I just find so much value in that relationship with your parent and the parent and child relationship.
0: Yeah. You know, you know, both, I think on both ends, as you touch on, right. Same sex and alternate sex, right. To be able to talk to your mother about those, those things in a free flowing way. Now, now don't mistake us, right. As Cindy and I go back and forth, if you're listening to this is, you know, we're not talking about like, and this is why I love that you clarified. And I think it's worth clarifying. Again, it's like, we're not talking about overt conversations about erotica. We're talking about conversations about sexual exploration of the human growth and your development through a sexual lifespan. And like, and I really love that you touch on, right, like the toddler aspects, like, hey, we're we're exploring our bodies all the time. This is a thing that happens. and And I think it's something that you know, like when you mentioned the movies, right? When we see a sexual scene in movies, yeah. I, I think there's a connection here between like those toddler ages and like, you know, we're growing and developing in our, our, you know, sense of ourselves. And then, you know, being able to like have an avenue to like, well, that was kind of confusing. And then that, that experience of watching a movie with your parents, the sexual scene comes on you're like, huh, are, they, are they looking to, <laughs> or like, are we covering our eyes, right? It's like breaking down that shame. think it's such a crucial piece right so that they can talk to you about anything if they can talk to you about that exploration they can talk to you about anything
1: yes and that's the hope that that we are able to break down that stigma so that um, parents are truly comfortable having these discussions with their kids so that their kids don't walk around in shame yeah
0: now is this is this a little bit of what inspired you to get into the field or were there kind of different drives behind that or what kind of What was it that made Cindy Burlingame wake up one day and say, I want to be a fucking therapist?
1: Um, You know, this is a second career for me. My my first career was raising my family. So um, I think that one of the things specifically that was that drove me not only to be a therapist, but to be a sex therapist is exactly like the things that I saw with my children um, and their friends. And, you know, I, I always had a really open relationship with my kids and, you know, me, I can talk about sex all day, every day, nothing phases me. And so their friends would be the ones to come to me because they weren't comfortable talking to their parents. And um, my friends, same thing, everything revolving around sex, Cindy was the person to go to. And so when I really started exploring, okay, what do I want to do with my life? I recognize the impact therapists have had on me and my family and, um, just the value to taking care of our mental health. Um, and so decided, okay, that's the direction I'm going to go in. And so I thought I'll be a therapist and, and it didn't, really occurred to me early on that I could combine my two loves, which would be therapy and sex therapy. Um, I thought I had, I hadn't done enough research to understand that they could be combined, that I thought it was two completely separate fields. And so when I learned, oh no, I can, I can do them both within the same field. I was ecstatic and totally had the support of my family um, to pursue them both.
0: Oh boy, am I glad you did! You know, I've I've gained a wonderful friend out of this experience, and it's, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm always, you know, especially doing these first few podcasts, like bringing on people that I've, you know, worked with or gone to school with. It's just it's just a beautiful thing to to hear the inspirations behind this, and and just to know that like, hey, this is a field that also gets to bring us together, you know, yeah. and it's it's really nice to have this community.
1: Oh my gosh, can you imagine being in this? um this field and not having the support of each other
0: right it, it would be a lonely place i'll tell you what
1: it would be it absolutely yeah i mean my best friends were made in grad school
0: so yeah for sure well i and and i think you know that's the case with me my my like best bud <laughs> we, yes. we came together in our graduate program
1: yes you guys were um quite the hellraisers
0: yeah bless our hearts <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, and I'm curious how you would answer this too, because I'm, I'm sure you get asked this all the time by, by maybe friends or just kind of people when they find out what it is that we do. One of the questions I get all the time is, how do you handle that, right? It's, it's heavy, right? Like, and it really is, right? The things that we hear on a daily basis, the things that we walk with people in, oftentimes, right, if, if you're a good boundary therapist, as I know you are, right, we hear some of the deepest, darkest truths. Of, of the realities of our patients. And, and I often get asked, like, how do you handle that? And I know part of the big piece of the answer is what we we're just talking about. I have a, a wonderful, stellar, intact community that supports me every step of the way. I'm curious, you know, with that in mind as well, like, how would you answer that question?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that the, the community support that we get from each other is Unbelievably valuable. I also believe that the support my my family gives me is um, paramount to my sanity. Um, and you know we. You hear all the time, self-care, 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 self-care. And one thing that I've learned is that most therapists, even though we preach it, we're not quite so good at it.
0: Yeah. Bless our hearts.
1: Bless our hearts. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: But learning really to have those boundaries that when I leave the office, my work Is left at the office. Um, I, you know, I have a long commute and I'm thankful for that because that's my decompression time um, so that by the time I get home I'm ready to be fully present at home. And um, sometimes that commute involves calling one of my colleagues, one of my friends, and just downloading, you know, something traumatic that I am dealing with from, you know, the work that we do and then i'm able to just put it away and and be able to be present uh it's it is hard work it is heavy work and i think that if we aren't mindful of that that we can carry it with us and it can really really impact us burnout in this field is huge
0: sure. for
1: that yeah. reason
0: yeah well yeah it could lead to unmanageability real quick you know um I talk about that, you know, and I've shared this on the other podcasts, like it, it's partly, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why I'm in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step family group for uh, families of alcoholics. Yeah. Um, but this being in this field is another huge reason uh, that I find benefit in that program. Like you were saying, like, I can call my sponsor and download some of these things. And the beautiful part about that is, right, like, he can look and really see an outside perspective and like, yeah, that sounds right. Like, your head's on straight in that situation or like, man, that's stupid. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and it's just nice to have those people, right? Like in, outside of my sponsor, these other therapists that I can call and talk to, but how hugely important it is like you're, you're touching on as that piece of the self-care and remembering that that's self-care.
1: And I don't, I mean, I don't want people in my life who just agree with me. Right. You know, I, I need people in my life who, hold me accountable and call me on my bullshit when I need to be called on it. Um, You know, that's just, that's part of this process, you know, um, as well as having my own therapist, you know, I say all the time, you know, if you ever go to a therapist that hasn't been to therapy run.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, and, It's, I think, such an important part of that conversation because we are carrying a lot of information for people, but we also have our lives, right? Right. So it's, and I tell, I tell my clients all the time, like, if you pointed me in the direction of a family that looked like Leave It to Beaver, I'd shit my pants. I don't (laughs) think it exists. I don't think, like, hey, if you know one, send them because I'd love to work with them. I'd love the refreshing balance of having a perfect family in front of me. Right. We all need that support. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No such thing as a perfect family. And I think that, well, social media has not been been great for um, people's mental health for that reason, because it perpetrates a a myth, something that's not. What
0: myth What myth does it perpetuate?
1: That that it's, that you can have the perfect life.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, people only post the perfect on social media. Mm. They don't post the reality, you know, after that really great, shot of you and your significant other kissing and looking lovingly into each other's eyes. They don't show the, the other side of that, that they may have just finished fighting or dreaming about the laundry not being picked up or, you know, some, some reality, you know, and, and I think that especially for our teenagers and young adults, it's really taking a toll on their mental health.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think there, there's something hugely to be said, you know, I think the, the research, you know, over the years to come are really going to kind of highlight the things that on the flip side of a, of a myth of that things can be perfect, and that's what's posted, the flip side of the myth that it's not impacting mental health. I think we're going to start to see like, th- these are things just for, for those listening, like these are preliminary things that are like butting their ways into the DSM. You know, like there are diagnoses that are being formed around some of these things. And you hear about these young people having experiences, but the, the reality is like as an adult, social media has, has experiences emotionally, you know, in, in relationship capacities and, and, and other ways where it's like, whoa, that, that had a lot of power there. Uh, I'm curious what's going on
1: with that. So true. It's so true.
0: You know, you know, like especially the, you know, without like going into details of, of any client information, but like especially just working with clients, I'd say over the last like five years, um, you know, you get these like younger crowds coming in and like these new fresh 18 year olds that are coming into the treatment scene. And a lot of it, a lot of it is they're bullied online. I can't, I can't tell you how consistent of a report in the, in the biopsychosocial intakes. That is a factor. Absolutely. They're being bullied online. It's, it's nuts.
1: One of, the first, one of the first interventions I do with my clients is a 30-day fast from social media.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's, that's one of the things, right, no matter how, right, there's a lot of really good treatment centers out there, and then there's a lot that are like, oh, my God, run. But the one thing that every treatment center, I think, across the board has right is, you know, as long as they're doing this, is they take the cell phones away, right, mm-hmm. especially at the inpatient level. But the good ones, right, like where, when it's like your you're past residential and inpatient kind of stuff, and you're into like that PHP, IOP, they're mm-hmm. still, right, making you check in the phones, right? Because it, that, it's, a, it's an addiction. Let's just call it what it is. We're addicted yeah, to those goddamn phones. Mine's attached to my hip all day, all day. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely an addiction. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I will be happy to see when it is recognized as an addiction.
0: Yeah, yeah you know and, and just from a standpoint because like, i listen to a lot of like joe rogan podcasts you know he's, yeah. he's a, a favorite of mine and he brings on a lot of people to talk about these kind of things and i think moving in the direction right of and, and i have a com- conversations with a lot of clinicians of this is like look i'm not i'm not advocating for like hey let's crack down laws and do these things and let's have all these labels and yada yada i think we need the education across the board hey you want to engage in that great here's the outcome right here's the consequences right yeah. You know, cause a lot of times we're also not going to have control over the situation. So it's like, Hey, as long as we know the consequences and I, and I, I believe in the human spirit. So I think if people know at a certain degree, like what's down the road, they may not be ready to stop right now, but eventually, eventually, and, and I don't know what that looks like with the whole cell phone thing. Like, how do you stop that? Right. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can at this point. Um, but I think just the behaviors that get excessive in general.
1: Well, and that's it. I think it's the recognition of being, being able to understand when is this too much? When do I need to put it away, you know, and, and not engage, not even look at my phone, you know, for some people, that's when, when I get home at the end of the day, my cell phone goes off. No. And if.
0: That's inspiring.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me clarify when I'm at Sierra house.
0: Well, I would imagine there's there's a whole (laughs) different degree there, right? Of
1: when you're in stabilization, you kind of work twenty-four seven. But um, you know, right now, when I get home from the end of the day, and and for me, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I also do private practice. So you know, there's some nights I'm walking in the door seven, eight o'clock at night, but once I'm in, you know, I'm I'm generally not responding to my phone anymore unless it's like dead on emergency.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's just a healthy reminder, you know, like when you got screens in front of your face all day, right? you You got to give your brain a break from that too.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's why I like, um, you know, like when people do in our line of work, when they do like the, the psychoeducation around like sleep hygiene and things like that, giving yourself like true darkness, like true darkness to sleep and to recharge and get into a REM cycle. You know, these things are hugely important. And I think like, I think that's why we're seeing a lot of issues in society. Like this is a factor, not just like our diets and yada, yada. I won't go, we'll need more brilliant minds that are educated in those directions. But one thing that I know that we're educated in and and that we seek continued education in is the importance of sleep. Get some sleep.
1: You know, and I'm always amazed at how many clients have never even heard the term sleep hygiene or know what that, what that even means. You know, most of them are laying in bed at night, you know, on their phones until they fall asleep, you know, and not, not recognizing, no, we, we need time to like settle our brain before it can go to sleep, you know, and, and that screen in front of you is not helping to settle your brain.
0: No, it most certainly isn't. And, you know, I think that, you know, the research will be more accessible on that kind of stuff, like blue light stuff and, and um, you know, just the way your brain stays on when you have it right in front of you. And so it's really not necessarily an easing into sleep. It's actually a crash. Um, and And we all know, right, if we just look at like alcohol, right? Uh, there's one connection there. Like when you crash from alcohol, you're waking up with a headache and you may not have as severe of a headache waking up with a blue light, you know, falling asleep with a blue light in front of your face. But those like processes that are happening in your brain, you're crashing over and over and over and over again. You know, I think there's a lot of links to, you know, just unpleasant emotional experiences, um, you know, depression, anxiety, you name it.
1: Yeah. And there's studies being done all the time on that exact same thing. So, you know, we're learning more and more about it all the time, but I def- definitely think that it warrants just the education for clients yeah. to be able to, to understand what they're doing to their brains.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and just to give like just a little snapshot since we brought up the conversation, I'd love to hear just kind of some of the tidbits you share with your clients as well. You know, sleep hygiene or things like Cindy was saying, right? Like not having your cell phone in front of your face, you know, as a, as a way to go to sleep. Uh, you know, making sure that there's complete and total darkness in, in the place that you're sleeping. And that, that was a huge one for me that, that I still haven't perfected. That's a hard one, right? Like remembering to cover all of the possible lights in your apartment, um, and making sure like you have blinds and stuff like completely closed so that it's dark. in your apartment. Yeah. Um, those are some of the like ones that I'll go down and, and explain because I think some of the, some of those are the, the bigger ones to tackle,
1: uh, oh.
0: to start to gain some education around
1: Yeah. And I start even like before getting into bed um, with my clients, you know, I have them explain to me what the half hour before bed is like. Mm -hmm. And for many of them, it's I'm watching TV. I decide it's time for bed. I go to bed and I lay in bed and scroll on my phone until I fall asleep. You know, and so trying to change that from, okay, a half hour before bed, can we maybe have a cup of tea? Can we take our shower, a hot shower right before bed? Maybe have a cup of tea or a a cup of warm milk. Um, maybe read an actual book.
0: Right. What a
1: concept. <laughs> <Instead of> having, <laughs> even having, you know, a book on Kindle, that's still a screen. You know, can we just read an actual book for a few minutes before we make sure all the lights are out and we go to sleep without the screen without the phone without the television and you know let's try that for a week and see if we notice a difference in your sleep yeah. and 100% of the time there's a difference Huge yeah
0: difference. yeah well it, you know it's it's funny like the the kindle you know, cause th- that, you know, if we just, for a moment, since we're talking about sleep hygiene, you know, some of the rebuttals with that, it's like, well, you know, they, they it doesn't have a blue light and I agree. But what I know as a 12 stepper is I'll negotiate anything, motherfucker. I want a cold beer on a hot day, you know, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll justify that till the cows come home. It's, it, I think at a certain point when we talk about, right, like the self-care aspects, but also our recovery and our mental health, it's about the behavioral changes as much as anything else. That's why I like when you were saying like, without the screens, whatever type of screen that is, right? Because that's a behavioral change in and of itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like when you decide to quit drinking or quit smoking, you have to make a behavior change, you know, someone who smokes, you know, first thing they do when they get up in the morning, they grab a cup of coffee and go have a cigarette. After every meal, they go have a cigarette. Before bed, they go have a cigarette. Well, those behaviors have to change in order to be successful at quitting, Right. This is no different. You know, we have to be able to change the behaviors in order to gain the benefit of a good night's sleep.
0: Right, right. Well, and, and if we just bring this full circle, that your sleep pattern, if, you, if you're on the fence of like taking care of like those kind of things, you can be sure it's going to impact your sex life too. So if you want a good sex life, get some sleep. It'll help.
1: Absolutely. And I always say, look, if you have time to watch TV in bed, you have time to have sex. Turn the, TV off. Turn the TV off. <laughs> and have sex.
0: There you go. There you go. Keep it healthy.
1: <laughs> That's, right. That's right. If you have a desire to watch TV in bed, no, have sex.
0: Right. Yeah. You want. You <laughs> want to be, be uh, ready to go to sleep. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <Touché. laughs> so, in the in the realm of talking a little bit, since we kind of dipped into this conversation of like interventions, are there? because I, I brought this one up on a, a few of the other podcasts is just an intervention that you really, really enjoy that you go to that, that you either utilize um, as a way to offer an extra tool to someone to add to their toolbox, um, a, a skill that you come back to that's like in your wheelhouse that you love to use and teach. Them. Yes.
1: My favorite intervention, and I do this with almost all of my clients is examining, exploring the different masks that they wear oh and how those masks serve them how do they benefit them and what happens when you remove all the masks um that hands down is my favorite one um it's a a very powerful intervention for the client because most of them never stop to think about the different masks that they wear right um and it's just really empowering for them to be able to understand why they wear different masks and how each mask serves them.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and just <clears throat> like on a rudimentary level, right? Like just, just the surface, like say someone's sitting across from you and they're like not fully sure on what the, what the concept of the mask is for them yet. And they kind of just ask like, hey, I'm with you um, and I want to explore this. What, what, what kind of masks uh, would you start to explain so they can get a grasp of yeah. the deeper ones that they're going to need to identify?
1: Yeah. So um, initially I'll start with like really just surfacy masks. You know, we all wear a mask to go to the grocery store. Right. When we go shopping, we put on a specific mask to present to the world people that we don't know or particularly care about. Right. Um, and then we go a little bit deeper into okay well what masks do we wear with our friends you know what because even with friendships we wear different masks with different friends
0: sure
1: um and that generally always leads into a discussion of what defines a friend Mm. you know because i'm i'm always interested to hear how my clients define friendship um and and it varies with everybody yeah Um, And then we go a little bit deeper. What masks do we wear with our parents? What masks do we wear with our significant other? What masks do we wear with our children? And then finally, what happens when we take off all of the masks? And a lot of times there's a recognition that it's very uncomfortable to take off all the masks, to not have at least one mask on, even with yourself, because that means you have to really look in the mirror and see the the real you. Right. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable for people.
0: Yeah, well, and I think even, you know, as you're explaining it, right, like in in doing, you know, interventions like that, it's, it, it really then becomes the emotional conversation around like, you know, when you're identifying these types of relationships and then patterns emerge and you start to realize like family of origin shit, like this is painful stuff.
1: Absolutely. Right? Oh yeah. This, this intervention can take weeks to get through yeah. because it, it opens up so many different avenues for the client. So it's definitely not an intervention that's like, you're going to teach it and move on. You know, it is a, it's, it's a long intervention and it's a deep intervention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, you know, in knowing you, right, like just as, as much as I enjoy you as a human, like I, I could just imagine, right, being a, a client of yours and, and you walking and doing the due diligence of that, right, that process and, and watching that unfold. You know, I, I, I can only imagine it's a beautiful process. It's unfolding between you and your clients and the benefits that they're getting from that. I
1: love it because you know, I mean, you know, we are attachment therapists. I mean, right. we that's that's our that's our core um is is the attachment. And I'm a firm believer that the relationship that we have with our clients is really catalyst for change for them. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, for some clients, they've never had a relationship where they feel that they can fully trust somebody and be who they are. And um, it's such an honor to have that trust first off. Um, And so to be able to solidify that relationship and recognize that it is, they are giving us something so valuable that in, in many instances, they've never given anybody else. Right. And, um, for them to be able to do this really painful work and walk through it with them. I just, I don't, I can't imagine any other job that would be as fulfilling as this one is in that aspect.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, am pressed to, to think of one, you know, and, and I'm biased, you know, we're biased and I, and I get that. Right. But I, I work with a lot of, a lot of humans from a lot of different professions um, you know, and, and, all the mental health stuff aside, right? Just the straight up fulfillment of, of other professions, right? it's hard to find a profession that I think meets as many check marks as the mental health field does. Um, okay. or, or like medical, you know, like when, when you're in that place where you can, you can walk with people and support them and, and you do that on a consistent basis, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, I'm okay. very thankful that this exists.
1: Yeah, me too. It's amazing. It's hard, but it's amazing.
0: For sure. It's a challenge every day, you know, but it's a, it's a worthwhile challenge. It's one that gets me out of bed and I'm like, all right, let's get it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we, we get up and we keep doing it. So there's obviously something fulfilling for us um, that, you know, we, we keep doing it day after day after day. And even after those really hard days, and I'm not going to lie, there have been days where I come home and I just, I have nothing left to give. Right. No, I just, I've, I've thrown it all out. I've given 150% and I walk in the door and my spouse knows just from looking at my face, okay, she's out for the day. You know, there's, there's, I've got nothing more to give. Um, And even those days it's worth it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's huge that you normalize that too, that there is a real conversation here for us as therapists too, that, you know, we're human. You know, and and even if you're not a therapist, whatever profession you're working in, it's it's okay to have days where you just need some downtime. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's
0: part of the whole reason you go to therapy is to learn that it's okay to take some space.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, going to therapy is self-care.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, when I I see mine every week, I know when I leave there, I'm like, God damn, I'm glad I did that.
1: Yep, <laughs> and and it, for full transparency, there's some days where I'll be like, I do not want to see my therapist today.
0: Sure. sure, I am not
1: feeling it. Don't want to. I don't want to feel anymore. Right. But I go and just like you said, at the end of it, I'm like, okay, I'm really glad that I went. I needed that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I get that on so many levels, right? Like, and, and you've you've walked with me and. Uh, a long progression of me coming to a point of even being able to experience my goddamn emotions, right? Uh, you know, so there there are there are a lot of those days, uh, not just as a man, but you know, as a therapist and as a human, where I'm just like, God, I need a yep. break, yeah, you know, and absolutely. yeah.
1: And I will say, you know, it's, I mean, even for those of us that you know, you and I and Drew and all of us that were in school together and experiencing all those things. Um, together for the first time, just watching each other's growth
0: yeah. has
1: been such an amazing honor to to walk alongside you know everyone and rec- and see recognize the growth in each other and how far we've come from you know naive students yeah um, who really had absolutely no idea what we were in for. I mean, there's no grad program on the planet that can prepare you truly for what you're going to experience outside of school.
0: Seriously though, (laughs) it's a whole (laughs) nother realm.
1: (laughs) It is, And just to look at where everyone's at now and, and think, wow, wow, we have really, really grown. And just to imagine, okay, if, if we've grown this much, what, what are we going to be like in 10 years, in 15 right. years, you know? Yeah.
0: That was one of the things I talked with, uh, to, uh, with Andrew about was just, you know, him and I used to stand out um, and, and just have these long conversations after our 10 o'clock classes and we'd go home super late. But part of the conversation we have is like, can you imagine when we get to like the 10 year mark and we're, we're like kind of turning that corner that some <laughs> of our professors, and now here we are, we're like at this mark and it's <laughs> such a trip because like it really is beautiful. It really is beautiful. You know, for those who have like put the time in and stayed in the field and got licensed and did certifications and all this all this education, you know, but also like you were saying, like really invested in the growth of of what this profession offers and and what it offers the people that walk into our offices.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's like what a gift that this world has given us.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I, I love that you know, we we each took some of those you know, we all learn something so valuable from each other, um, you know, and even just being in, in the classroom and battling it out in the classroom, you know, right. learning even then how to be an effective therapist. You right. know, I took those lessons with me, you know, and watching just the different friendships grow. A lot of times we leave grad school and think, I'm never going to see these people again. Right. And for most of us, that's not true. You know, we... you know,
0: uh, that it's it's one of the biggest things I always appreciated about our cohort. You know, yeah. as we we all we're humans. You know, and we were growing then and still growing now, and we had ups and downs and yada yada. But that cohort, man, we were so close.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I know there. You know, there was a little core pod of us that through the years, I I've reached out to you, I've reached out to Drew and Christina and Anna and Rachel, and I mean, there's. There's just so many of us that still touch base and, hey, let's get together, let's have coffee, you know, that I think that's so important for us in our continued growth to to check back with the people that started with us Yeah, and um, just, I don't know if it's validation, but just, you know.
0: Well, I I talk about this concept a lot from like a, like a 12 step, um, like spirituality principle almost is, is really in the beginning stages of of recovery, but also all the way through. It's not about looking at where you want to go. It's about looking at about looking at how far you've come. And that is a spiritual principle of the program, you know, and, and I believe that that right outside of the program is a, it's a, it's a principle in life. Look at how far you've come. Yeah. Right. And, and even those times where you tripped and fell, you fell forward because look, look, look where you're at. This is beautiful. That's right. You
1: know, right. You know even, <laughs> I, I say, I call them hiccups. When, when somebody stumbles, it's a hiccup. Yeah. Hiccups go away. Sometimes they come back, but it's a hiccup. They don't stay permanently.
0: Right. Right. I like that. Yeah. So I, I have one last question for you here, Cindy. <clears throat> this is, this has become quickly my favorite question. Uh, in these podcasts, but if you had to choose one book within the realm of mental health that is the most inspiring book to you, or the one that you just love the most, that you find yourself gravitating back to, what would that book be?
1: Oh my gosh! Are you kidding me? What? This is,
0: that's been the response every time. But yes, <laughs> I, I am dead serious. I want to know.
1: What <laughs> book? Okay. Well, I guess I would have to say because we work, we do a lot of trauma work in this field, so hands down, the body keeps the score.
0: That is a phenomenal book. Yeah. Can you share just uh, the name of the author for everyone uh, listening? Yeah,
1: Bessel van der Kolk. Um, He is amazing that that book has changed the lives of more clients of mine than any other book. It's the first time that they are able to understand why they have these reactions that they never were able to understand or even draw the correlation between the trauma they experienced and what their body is doing, what their brain is doing. Um, it's just been such an impactful book in the lives of my clients that I I have to say that one. I mean I could list a hundred books, you know me, sure. But, sure. Um, but that one, hands down, has been the most impactful in my clients' lives.
0: Most definitely, most definitely, and you know, working at a you know kind of transitioning out of where where I've been working right now in a, a trauma center, that book is has led to a lot of aha moments.
1: Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for that because there's some times where I maybe am trying to explain something and I'm just not quite getting it across in the way that this book, you know, a client will come back and be and say, oh my gosh, what we were talking about last week, I understand it now because I read this, you know, and so it's just so helpful.
0: Yeah. Plants the seeds, opens the doorways, makes the connections. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, if you've listened this far, I want to remind you that who we're talking to today is Cindy Burlingame. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California. Uh, Cindy, where is your private practice located? Laguna Hills. Laguna Hills. So if you are anywhere in uh, a big vicinity of Laguna Hills, I would drive really far to see you for therapy (laughs) if I wasn't one of your friends. So if you're listening to this and you're on the fence about uh, maybe looking to meet with a therapist, I would highly highly recommend that you give Cindy Burlingame a call. I will have her contact information in the description for this podcast, or if you're watching on video, I'll have that information. Um, If you're looking, right, to explore the realms of uh, what you enjoy within uh, your sexual explorations or just in regards to exploring your emotions, uh, I know no one better. She's a wonderful human. She's a wonderful therapist. Reach out to her. Call her. Do the therapy thing. Thank you, Alan. (laughs) Anytime. Cindy, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a blast.
1: It has been a pleasure. Thanks for asking me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All righty. Bye, guys.